As the New York Post reported a few months ago, humanity has hit talk bottom. Created in 2016 as a portal for short, humorous clips, TikTok has recently become synonymous with something far more sinister, viral internet challenges. Pull up the video sharing app and you'll inevitably see opportunistic bozos risking their reputations and even bodies on camera for social media clout. In the most notorious stunt recently, a female TikToker wound up in the hospital after trying to style her hair with Gorilla Glue. Unfortunately, the app's eyeball-seeking algorithm makes it extremely difficult for these oft-harmful trends to be nipped in the bud before they metastasize across the internet. To help readers know what to avoid, we've compiled a list of challenges so ludicrous we might want to consider a TikTok ban. Let me just note a few. First, there was the DIY Vampire Fangs Challenge. Speaking of superglue fiascos, holiday revelers went viral this past Halloween after supergluing costume vampire fangs to their teeth. These cringeworthy clips, which, using the hashtag VampireFangs, amassed over 9 million views, depicted various bozos struggling to remove the fall chompers after fastening them to their incisors using superglue nail glue, and other adhesives. Go figure. Dentists advised against this practice, citing the fact that nail glue is poisonous and won't come off. Then there was the skull breaker challenge. The title says it all. This viral craze, reportedly originating in Venezuela as romcraneos, or skull breaker, depicts three friends, and we use that term loosely, jumping next to each other as the bookending buds kick the middle guy's feet out from under him. The action sends the person crashing to the ground, landing on their back, and hitting their head in the process. Not only has this alarming trend led to injuries in Miami, New Jersey, and Arizona, but Daytona Beach, Florida police have charged two high school teens with misdemeanor battery and cyberbullying following an incident there. In addition, two students in Mexico did their own version of the skull breaker, but reportedly used a sweater instead of their feet to trip a girl into doing a face plant. Doctors have unsurprisingly condemned this practice for its potential to cause serious and life-threatening injuries, ranging from skull fracture to paralysis and even death. Then we have the Benadryl challenge. This inflammatory challenge, which involves taking enough Benadryl to hallucinate and then posting the footage on the video-sharing platform, resulted in the death of a 15-year-old Oklahoma girl last year. This, along with several other near-fatal incidents, prompted pharmaceutical giant Johnson & Johnson and the FDA to issue PSAs warning teens not to abuse the antihistamines. The latter warned, taking higher-than-recommended doses of the common over-the-counter allergy medicine diphenhydramine or Benadryl can lead to serious heart problems, seizures, coma, and even death. You have the cha-cha slide challenge. This ridiculous TikTok trend involved teen drivers serving all over the road like maniacs in time with the stunt's namesake dance anthem, first released 20 years ago by DJ Casper, a.k.a. Mr. C, the slide man. Despite the obvious risks, the trend has taken TikTok by storm, reportedly causing several near accidents by participants. 
The car almost flipped, reads the caption to a video of one TikToker performing the stunt with friends. TikTok warns viewers on several clips that the action in this video could result in serious injury. Then there is the blackout challenge, also known as the passout challenge and the feigning game. Participants of the deadly, albeit popular blackout challenge were dared to choke themselves until they passed out for several seconds. Unfortunately, a 10-year-old girl in Italy tied a belt around her neck and accidentally asphyxiated herself in January. She was rushed to a hospital in Palermo where doctors ultimately pronounced her brain dead. TikTok encouraged users to flag any account holders engaging in the dangerous trend. You hear about these trends, and you wonder how in the world would thinking people with half a brain do these things? But yet I only read five out of the 23 idiotic trends in the news article, choosing not to mention some which are simply too disgusting or too sick for me to mention in a sermon. Certainly these people, young and old, can be labeled as fools. But because our generation watches these fools do foolish things, they continue to do them for the attention it brings. As we have mentioned last week, fools or foolish people can either be those who are ignorant and uninformed and do not desire to learn, or someone who willfully disregards clear instructions and given advice. We talked about five ways of the wise, which conversely would mean that firstly, a fool does not consider God in every aspect of their lives. Second, Fools do not remember God's instructions and commands and apply it in their lives. Third, they do not work to garner the respect of both God and man. Fourth, fools trust only in themselves and do not seek to get counsel from others. And fifth, they do not live out eternity-focused stewardship, but instead focus on the immediate, instant gratification and the now. Therefore, my friends, with so many fools and foolish people we encounter in our lives, how then do we deal and interact with them as defined by the Scriptures? That is the focus of our message as we continue our sermon series titled, Foolproof, A Guide to Wise Living, Studying the Book of Proverbs. Turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 26 as we draw out some principles for how to deal with foolish people. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 12 in our study. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 1 to 12. I read now verse 1. As snow in summer and rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. In this proverb, it describes that just as out of place snow is in the summer and rain during the times of harvest, it is inappropriate to honor a fool. This is a great reminder for our generation that likes to sadly glorify foolish acts. Of course, with social media, the sillier, the more outlandish, the crazier, the more foolish will generate the views and the likes. Foolishness is what sells, and it can be monetized because this is what our generation likes to watch and even emulate. However, the Bible tells us not to do it, not to honor fools. For example, when your children do foolish things like throw food on the wall do you just sit there as parents and start laughing and say, great job, and clap your hands? Of course not. You don't laugh and condone their antics, or else they will think you like it 
and continue to throw food on the wall and, in fact, do it more. Most wise and experienced parents would discipline, reprimand, or walk away. Because when there isn't an audience, many times there is no longer motivation to do foolish things. If social media videos were not monetized and the number of likes were not reported, then I believe many of the foolishness on the internet we see would be gone. Biblical proverbs still apply today. Do not honor fools and foolish acts because it will encourage them to do more of it. Look with me at verse 2. Like a fleeting sparrow or flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not alight. In this proverb, it is saying that even if a fool curses you, it's all right. Don't worry about it. It will not stick or hold water. Others who hear it will know what the fool says is untrue because they know who you really are. They know your character. So let a fool say whatever he wants. A fool saying bad things about you without any evidence will not stick. You know, people get so worked up about everything said of them, and they'll spend a lot of emotional energy and physical time worrying about how to try to defend themselves. My friends, there is no need for that. Let your character and good conduct speak for itself. Also, the opinions and perceptions of others toward you is something you and I have no control over. Remember, we can't control what people say. For example, if a person tells you, I think Pastor Stephen sneaks out of the office early every day to go work out at the gym to impugn my character. I would not have to defend myself because no one would believe I go to the gym every day, much less any day. If you just look at my body, my fats, and my belly. And that's the point of this proverb. Like a quick bird that comes and goes, so also the words of a fool will not stick because they lack credibility. I remember a few months ago, during the heat of the Philippine presidential election, everyone was very sensitive. On election day, I took a picture of myself holding my wife's hand to show our inked fingers, indicating that we had voted and had done our civic duties. I posted that picture on FB and IG stories. Well, apparently, because of the positioning of my hands to Cindy's, it looked like our fingers formed a V which is the campaign symbol of one of the Philippine presidential candidates. A bit of a firestorm ensued because some people thought I was telegraphing to the social media world whom I had voted for. A few people tried to disparage my character, saying, why would I vote for that candidate as a pastor? But you know what? I love that many of the young people in our church came to my defense on social media without me having to respond saying that Pastor Stephen was explicit in telling the congregation that he would not be telling anyone which candidate he voted for, and he would not go against his convictions on a social media post. So they should not read too much into a supposed V sign. He was just simply holding his wife's hands. My friends, the Bible is clear. The words of a fool do not hold sway when they are not true and when they know your character proves otherwise. So if you've lived wisely, you don't have to worry about what others say of you. That's why Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. My friends, 
one's good and godly reputation will go a long way in helping you defend against the attacks of others. I read now verse 3 of Proverbs chapter 26. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the fool's back. This proverb tells us that discipline and admonition is what is appropriate for a fool. Just like whips and bridles control horses and donkeys by pushing them and restraining them, foolish people are to be controlled and put in their place through the rod of discipline. God often lovingly uses discipline to keep us in check and in line. When people have been punished and disciplined for foolish actions, it should constrain them to not want to do it again, especially when they know there will be severe consequences. That's why law and justice have its place in a free society like ours, to keep order and discipline so that everyone can enjoy living their lives. Now, putting these three Proverbs together, we have our first biblical principle, dealing with fools, number one. Fools need not be honored, and their words should not be trusted. Fools need not be honored, and their words should not be trusted. In our eyes, fools should have no credibility and thus should not be held in high esteem. We should not honor people who do foolish things because it speaks of our values. My friends, the world is watching us, and if they see that we honor fools and trust their words, then they may question why we honor Jesus and trust His words. They may go so far as to say that Jesus is a fool because of His outrageous claims like rising from the dead. They may say, if Stephen, who is a follower of Jesus, honors fools and believes their words, then Stephen will believe anyone, including a fool like Jesus. Simply put, honoring and trusting fools reduce our credibility to the watching world we're called to minister to. That's why the Bible is clear. Do not honor fools and do not trust their words. I read now verses 4 and 5. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. At first, these two proverbs seem to contradict each other, but they actually don't. Like with many proverbs, they are giving general principles that we can then use as guides to help us decide what to do. Now let's unpack these statements. In verse 4, there is an advice to not respond to a fool and go down to his level. It's like children who like to fight over, quote-unquote, whose turn is it, or he looked at me, or she looked at me, or he laughed at me, she laughed at me. Can you imagine a parent going down to the level of their children and engaging in that fight. It's your turn to clean the house. You looked at me first. You laughed at me. And then fighting with your children. The advice in verse 4 is to ignore them so that you don't engage, acknowledge, or lend credibility to their foolish words, their foolish fights, and their actions. Sometimes silence is the best response to a verbal attack and no response is also response, at times, a very powerful one. In 2 Kings chapter 18, there's a very interesting exchange where the king of Assyria sent some of his high officials with a great army to Jerusalem. There they tried to verbally intimidate the godly king Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem with threats. Their spokesperson is someone titled Rabshakeh. 
as Rabshakeh tried to intimidate and then persuade the people of Jerusalem to give up their city and not listen to their king, we're told in verse 36 that the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was, do not answer him. My friends, sometimes the wise thing to do is not to answer, not to engage the fool. Now, on the other hand, in verse 5, we are advised to answer a fool lest he thinks he is right. For example, if someone keeps on insisting that he works at a company when he's been fired, that would require correction so that he will not continue to come to the office and cause trouble. Again, it seems like both principles contradict each other. How then do you decide if you're going to ignore or to engage to correct? And this is where wisdom comes in as you assess the situation. Engage to correct if the matter is important and ignore and avoid engaging if the matter is unimportant. Having both of these principles give us a range by which we can react. If there is only one way to respond to a fool's words and actions, then it would be limiting. Here, the Bible is giving us a range of options based on the situation. And from this, we can extrapolate our second biblical principle, dealing with fools, number two. Depending on the situation, one may either ignore or respond to a fool. Depending on the situation, one may either ignore or respond to a fool. I know that many of us want the Bible to tell us just exactly what we are to do in every situation. But if that was the case, then the Bible would probably run hundreds of thousands of pages. But the reason God gave us a brain and wisdom, along with freedom, is for us to assess and prayerfully think through how we should respond. If there is no specific command in the Bible that we are to do this or not to do that, that we have the freedom to do what we think best about what should be done. And principles like this in the Bible help guide us in the many unique situations of life. It is up to us to determine if the matter is important enough to warrant a response. Even the secular world acknowledges this. Corporate trainer Mark Lesser writes, the ability to engage and disengage is one of the secrets or one of the key skills of mindful, effective leadership. It's also an important skill to support our overall well-being and our ability to take skillful action, especially in the midst of great change and uncertainty. In other words, in times like now. This is what great athletes do all the time. Whether hitting a baseball, kicking a penalty shot, or serving a final point of a tennis match, great athletes are disengaging and engaging consistently throughout a game, often doing both things at the same time. This is also true of great business leaders and effective entrepreneurs. My friends, I give you a snapshot of what the secular corporate world thinks to be personal best practices to show you that it isn't really new. The Bible and its wisdom literature already notes all of this, so it would be of great value for you to read through the Bible for success in this life. Now let's take a look at a series of Proverbs in verses 6 to 10 that cautions us about how we entrust responsibilities to foolish people. I read now verses 6 and 7. He who sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like the legs of the lame that hang limp is a proverb in the mouth of fools. These proverbs serve as a warning 
not to send an important message through someone who is a fool, just as it would be impossible to deliver a message if you cut off the messenger's feet or if you have them drink poison. Verse 7 reinforces this idea that a wise saying or important message is useless for a fool to deliver, just as the feet of one who is lame or unable to walk. Bottom line, the foolish person would not get across the message you're trying to send for a wide variety of reasons, whether it be because of simple incompetence or that they get distracted or even that no one would believe them because they lack the authority and credibility to deliver the message. The message may be important, but the messenger messes up the delivery or renders the message useless. Do you want to entrust an important message to someone who is unable to communicate the message well? For example, if you want to inform the country that they need to take an important medicine to deal with a pandemic, whom do you want to report this information? An infectious disease doctor, an expert who can clearly and calmly tell us what to do? Or a comedian who mumbles his words and cannot pronounce the name of the medicine and the name of the disease? I think you know the answer. I read now verse 8. Like one who binds a stone in a sling is he who gives honor to a fool. This proverb illustrates how someone who doesn't know what he's doing will ruin something. What is pictured here is a sling, like the one David used to kill Goliath, where instead of just letting the stone or rock sit in the pouch of the sling from which the stone can then be projected and flung, the person stupidly ties the stone to the sling pouch, thus rendering it essentially useless. It illustrates someone who doesn't know how to properly use a sling, but still uses one. They and the others around them can be hurt in the process. In the same way, if a fool who doesn't know what he or she is doing is given a place of honor or position of great responsibility, then it will lead to ineffectivity or even damage. This should serve as a warning not to put inexperienced or incompetent people in places of authority or handling much responsibility because they will be ineffective in their position or even, in some cases, cause harm. Note that this is a common-sense biblical proverb that says nothing about how spiritual the person is because spirituality does not mean competency. A very godly and spiritual person, yet incompetent, can still be ineffective. But a spiritual and competent person, now that is the best combination. Just like the great King David, who is described in Psalm 78 verse 72 as one who ruled with integrity of heart and skillfulness of hands, David was both spiritual and competent. The Bible and even history is replete with examples of foolish and incompetent people put in places of power and authority that cause the suffering of its people. Like King Ahab, King Rehoboam, Balaam, Haman, Pilate, Charles II of Spain, Shah Allah Adin Muhammad II, Pope Alexander VI, Roman Emperor Elagabalus, and others. Notable is Lushan, the second and last emperor of the state of Shuhan during the Three Kingdoms era of Chinese history. His incompetence is so legendary. Lushan's infant name, Ato, has taken on the modern meaning of mental incapacity or a fool. Be careful about giving power to inexperienced or incompetent people, the Bible warns. 
Look with me as I read verses 9 and 10. Like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. The great God who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. Verses 9 and 10 continue the idea that the fool is unfit to carry out important tasks. The picture in verse 9 is of a drunk man holding a thorn bush and waving it around. It is dangerous for those who are around him. Similarly, a piece of wisdom or message in the mouth of a fool is also dangerous and will often be misused. There is a modern idiom that correlates to this. A little knowledge is a dangerous thing. It expresses the idea that a small amount of knowledge can mislead people into thinking that they are more expert and knowledgeable than they really are, which can lead to mistakes being made. This is the classic definition of a fool as described in verse 9. Sadly, there are people who watch, let's say, a YouTube video on Roman history, and now they are experts on Roman history and culture. Or they watch a show on home repair, and now they think they can build a house. Or people who read an article on COVID, and now they are infectious disease experts. Or they read a book on sailing, and now they think they can sail around the world. We would say these people are fooling themselves. Verse 10 continues the idea that a fool is unfit for any work. An employer hiring a foolish person is like an archer randomly shooting without aiming, not achieving its purpose, and may also have harmful consequences. Now you may ask, where in the world did you get the concept of an archer from verse 10? Well, let me just note that verse 10 is one of the most difficult verses in Proverbs to translate and understand because of the Hebrew used. It's been described as the most obscure verse in Proverbs by Old Testament scholar Daniel Snell. You see, the Hebrew noun rav can mean archer, master, or much. And the verb mechalel can mean to wound or to bring forth. So different English translations make an interpretive decision on how to translate these difficult Hebrew words. So verse 10 may look different, let's say, in the KJV and the NKJV versus the ESV and the NASB. But the original Hebrew is the same. In my studies on this verse, based on the context of the preceding verse, the archer idea may be the best translation. But whatever the case, the main idea is that God may sovereignly allow you to hire a fool, but your own decision to do so may have harmful consequences. Because fools cannot be trusted, are unpredictable, incompetent, and perhaps even dangerous. Therefore, hiring an employee on the basis of family relationships instead of qualifications, friendships instead of competencies, is a recipe for disaster. That's why even the secular world discourages nepotism and favoritism as a matter of best practices in hiring. I came across this article by Singapore Management University titled, How to Beat the Third Generation Curse. This is what they write. Wealth may pay, but it may not stay. That's a piece of conventional wisdom that appears to transcend cultures. A Chinese saying that goes, wealth does not last beyond three generations, for example, is essentially stating the same belief as to the American expression, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. And data does back up these aphorisms. A groundbreaking 20-year study conducted by wealth consultancy, the Williams Group, 
involves over 3,200 families and found that 7 in 10 families tend to lose their fortune by the second generation, while 9 in 10 lose it by the third generation. Looking at examples of wealth that has lasted beyond three generations can offer illuminating lessons as well. International food conglomerate Cargill Incorporated, for instance, was founded in 1865 by American business executive William Wallace Cargill. It has stayed in his family for four generations and remains one of the largest private companies in the world, with nearly $120 billion U.S. dollars in revenue in 2018 and over 160,000 employees in 66 countries. According to Assistant Professor Mandy, one thing the Cargill family did right was distinguishing between management succession and ownership succession. She notes, children who may succeed you as owners need not succeed you as managers. This is a concept which Western countries have adopted to preserve the old money in European families that have been passed down over many generations. Here in Asia, we have new money, so we're still getting used to the idea that managerial positions don't have to be passed on to children. Now, putting together the principles found in verses 6 to 10, we have our third biblical principle, dealing with fools, number three. Fools are ill-equipped and incapable. Do not trust them to carry out important tasks. Fools are ill-equipped and incapable. Do not trust them to carry out important tasks. Would you employ a chef who can't cook simply because he's a family member? Would you ask someone who doesn't communicate well to share your important message? Trusting ill-equipped and incapable people to carry out important tasks is a recipe for disaster and setting you, your family, and your organization for a big fall. People must prove themselves before they are given big tasks and great responsibilities. And this principle is taught even in the New Testament, and we see this in the parable of the talents. We see this in the early church, where when they were selecting deacons to assist the apostles in serving the church, Acts chapter 6, verse 3 tells us, they found people who were of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. These first seven deacons were fully equipped and capable, having proven themselves to the church before becoming servant leaders. I read now verses 11 and 12. As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. We see in verses 11 and 12 that fools never learn from their mistakes. Verse 11 speaks of a fool being like a dog who foolishly and disgustingly returns to eat his own vomit. While we would all proclaim that we wouldn't return to eat our own vomit, sadly, many of us still return to the errors of our ways, never learning from our mistakes. Interestingly, Peter refers to the same proverb when describing individuals who are drawn back to the sinful world after they have known Jesus Christ. Look what Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. 
but it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Verse 12 of Proverbs 26 teaches that fools never learn from their mistakes because they are wise in their own eyes. They're always right, and no one can reason with them. It is very difficult, perhaps near impossible, to then help them. A person who's so arrogant to always be right in his own eyes and to never learn from their mistakes doesn't need to be given a second chance, as they will not learn from it anyways. There is more hope for a fool than for him, the Bible says. As Bruce Waltke writes, Worse than a fool is a deluded fool. Worse than a fool is a deluded fool. In 1999, Philip Morris commissioned a study on the economic effects of smoking in the Czech Republic and came up with a surprising conclusion. The company argued that premature deaths due to smoking were, on balance, a positive thing because the government saved money on health care and pensions. Needless to say, millions of people were strongly offended by the crassness of this study. An example of a company deluding themselves into thinking that deaths caused by smoking is a good thing, just plain foolishness. If you're going to be a fool, don't delude yourself into being more of a fool. Now, pulling it all together, our fourth biblical principle is this, dealing with fools, number four. Fools never learn from their mistakes. There is no need to give them second chances. Fools never learn from their mistakes. There is no need to give them second chances. But as you think about this principle, you may say, but pastor, what about forgiveness? The Bible teaches forgiveness and reconciliation. The Bible teaches about giving second chances. And my friends, I would absolutely agree with you. But the Bible also teaches very clearly the balancing principle that if someone is unwilling to change and learn from their mistake, then you don't need to give them another chance. Galatians chapter 6, Matthew chapter 18, and 1 Corinthians chapter 5 all teach this principle. In fact, I like how Titus chapter 3 verses 10 to 11 has it. Titus chapter 3 verses 10 to 11. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, meaning warning, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. You don't need to give them multiple chances if they're not going to change. The Bible teaches these people are to be avoided and do not need to be given second chances because we will only be hurt if we do so, fooled by a fool. For example, if someone abuses or hurts you physically or emotionally and you've warned them multiple times to change and they do not, thinking they've done nothing wrong or they're wise in their own eyes, there is no need to give them another chance to hurt you. My friends, we deal with fools and foolish people every day in our lives, and we don't have to put up with them. The Bible is very clear how we should treat fools, whether they be friends or family members. Remember, number one, fools need not be honored and their words should not be trusted. Number two, depending on the situation, one may either ignore or respond to a fool. Number three, fools are ill-equipped and incapable. Do not trust them to carry out important tasks. 
Number four, fools never learn from their mistakes. There is no need to give them second chances. My friends, the world is watching how we respond to fools and foolish people. We have the choice to follow and associate with them, or we have the choice to ignore their antics and disassociate with them. If we are not wise in how we deal with fools, we may be inadvertently associated with them as fools or become fools ourselves, the Bible warns. And if we are to carry out the work of the great commission of Jesus Christ, then our words, actions, and reputation should show the world that we're not fools for trusting Christ because we do not put up with foolishness. Salvation and eternal life in Jesus is a serious, life-changing matter. Let this important message be propagated by people known to be wise, like ourselves, not by fools. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We all needed to be reminded how we deal with fools because there are such foolish acts and foolishness that surrounds us. People do foolish things because they want to garner attention, and perhaps we're sucked into this world. But Heavenly Father, you gave us a brain to live wisely. Help us indeed to do so. Help us not to honor those who are fools. Help us to discern that we do not trust their words. And Father, give us wisdom whether we should engage them or disengage. Lord, we want to live wisely because we have the truth of the gospel with us and we want to share it with the world and we want the world to understand that we have wisely chosen the path of salvation and eternal life through Jesus Christ because it is truth. Us following Jesus is not foolish at all, but it is the wisest thing to do. May that be our testimony to the watching world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.